David Sparks and Jason Snell spent their careers working for the establishment. Then one day, they'd had enough. Now, they are independent workers, learning what it takes to succeed in the 21st century. They are free agents. Welcome back to Free Agents, a podcast about being an independent worker in a digital age. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined by my fellow host, as always, Mr. David Sparks. Hi, David. Hi, Jason. Well, this is uh, one of our interview episodes, so we should probably get to it. I think we should. Welcome to the show, Greg Pierce. Thanks for having me. Greg, you may know or may not know, is the the brains behind the Agile Tortoise company that makes applications like Drafts, Interact, Terminology. Uh, some of my favorite apps on iOS. But more importantly, Greg is a long-proven uh, free agent. Greg, I think we should talk a little bit about your origin story. Sure. To say I set out to do this, it would, would not be accurate. It's something <laughs> I worked my way into over time. Uh, through a series of logical decisions. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I had a career making software, uh, at, at companies and I had always enjoyed working on side projects. And over time, I tried to make decisions and moves that allowed me to spend more of my time doing the things I enjoyed and less doing the things I didn't enjoy in the tech business, things like system administration and stuff like that, that tended to come along with a lot of the work I was doing. Um, and eventually I kind of found myself at a turning point a little over 10 years ago where the employer I was with and had been with for years, I spent about half my time doing software for them, about half my time doing administrative chores. Um, and they had grown enough to really make that administrative work a full-time thing. So I negotiated a deal with them and said, I'm going to go do my own thing. You guys can hire me to do the software. You hire a full-time administrative person. Um, and that was sort of a great, safe way to transition into being an independent. And I never looked back. So you had some work that came. You knew that going out on your own, you'd have a good client to start out. Correct. Um, for that first six months or so, they were responsible for about half of my revenue of, you know, a good, reliable company I had a relationship with, um, made it really easy to transition. But how long before you'd made the move were you thinking about going independent? Um, I, I wouldn't say I sat down ever and said, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to go start my own business. But um, I had a background that lent itself well. I had always worked in small organizations. Um, my undergraduate degree has a business core. Um, and I had worked in small organizations that let me kind of get involved in all aspects of business. So I didn't really have any fear or trepidation about developing that skill set or, you know, that came with going independent. You know, I knew how to keep books. I knew how to uh, do the business end and manage cash flow and stuff. That is sometimes what's new for someone going free uh, to be a free agent. Uh, so I had always been doing side projects, you know, as something I did in my own time. Uh, I've been doing work on the web. I had released shareware, Mac applications in the 90s and stuff. None of them amounted to much revenue-wise, but they were things that entertain me. And I just wanted to move more towards doing that kind of stuff uh, and and freeing myself up to make those decisions. And I think ultimately what pushed me over the edge was having kids and 
just looking at my day and the, the flexibility I wanted to have and the two hours I was wasting in a car every day commuting and stuff that uh, made it time to to make a change. It's funny, one, something you said earlier really struck me, the um, idea that it sort of happened with a series of logical decisions. And um, I wanted to just put a point on that because I think there's this fantasy that everything happens in big moments of inspiration where you see the whole future laid out in front of you and you have a master plan. And I don't know about you, but based on that statement, that, that really resonated with me because I look back at some of the stuff and I, you could totally ascribe it to being part of a master plan. But when you boil it down, there was no master plan. It was literally just a series of logical decisions to get to some place you wanted to be and do things you, you, you want to do. And I feel like de- demystifying that is maybe healthy for all of us because, you know, I, I think, you know, if you wait around for that moment of revelation, it may never come because they don't necessarily exist. It's a bunch of small steps to get you where you want to go. Yeah. And when you're in this business, it, it obviously depends on what type of services or products you're developing or doing and how you balance your, your work. But, you know, that was a process that continued for me after I was independent. I mean, clearly I went independent before there was an iPhone. Um, I didn't go and quit my job to make apps, but that was an opportunity that presented itself over those next couple of years as I found my way in the business. And it was an opportunity for me to say, Hey, how can I diversify this business and take some of my client work and make some products instead? Um, and where, you know, where to find the balance there. And it was just logical transitions that moved me more and more towards that as I had successes that uh, were the next logical step for my business and for me. I always felt for me, it was almost like my subconscious was making plans before my conscious was, you know, um, you know, I, it really hadn't occurred to me that I was going to be going out on my own until a lot closer to the time I went out on my own. But looking back, I had made a ton of ideas and decisions that pushed me in that direction. Yeah, I was never in a position where I, I, I think you hear a lot of people who express an interest in going to be an independent and they're maybe in a job they don't like. And there's always aspects to any job as an indie or not that you don't like or that you're, you know, aren't your favorite parts of the job. But I was never in a position where, Hey, I had a bad job I was trying to get out of. Um, it wasn't a situation where I got laid off and had to figure out what to do. I, I just co- sort of moved in that direction. Um, and it's worked out great over time. I was lucky to have those sorts of relationships with former employers and clients that uh, allowed me to support that. With this 10-year track record, I think one of the things that I'm most interested in is the evolution of your life as an independent because, you know, David and I have only been doing this for a couple of years. And so I'm really curious, like when you look at what you do now, um, and the and and the way you structure your your life. I'm not just like what projects you're working on today versus ten years ago, but um, what you know what's different. How how has how has it evolved over a decade of being independent? That is an interesting question. I mean, I think you develop strategies over time. You realize your points of weakness and your strengths, and if you're actively monitoring that, you can plan over time. And I still find myself getting into ruts over time where I'm maybe not making the best decisions either 
from a business point of view or from a personal point of view on how to manage schedule or, you know, plan for future projects and stuff. And you kind of always have to have that additional thread going in your mind that you stop and remind yourself to say, well, why am I doing this? Is this, you know, is being independent still what I really want to do? What are, you know, what are the pluses? What are the minuses? Um, and reevaluate your strategies. And I mean, you talk a lot on the podcast about, you know, some of the personal, some of the business things you do, but some of the personal things you have to do and habits you have to get into. Um, and having systems to manage that stuff, make decisions about where you spend your time working, um, the types of, you know, time and structure. When you have the ultimate flexibility, a lot of people, I think that causes people to stumble. Um, there's not a structure of a nine to five workday that you're being required to follow. Um, and if you don't have systems in place to keep yourself disciplined, that's, that's where it gets hardest, I think as time goes on. What are some of the most useful systems you've implemented for this? You know, that is also something that's changed over time. There's cycles where I find myself needing to get out of my home office and my, my rut and, and go do more things. I spend most of my time at my desk at home though, because it is comfortable for me. I mean, I've set up a great place to work. I have a wonderful sit stand desk. I, you know, I, can be productive here and I'm, I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to lug things around or be missing something I wanted, uh, that was crucial to the task I wanted to do. There's a couple strategies I've used that are specific to the types of work I do. Um, like doing client work and doing products. I do mostly iOS apps. I also do not take much of any client work doing iOS because that allows me to structure those two businesses differently. Um, not only it keeps my skill set up to date in different areas, but it allows me to easily not get confused. You know, if I'm doing iOS work, I'm doing my own products. I'm working in one environment in Xcode. If I'm doing client work, I'm in a different environment, writing different kinds of software or code or projects that really helps keep those things separated for me. Oh, I'm I'm curious about time management. Um, have you gotten <laughs> this is the sound of somebody saying, "Does this get better or does it not?" Have you gotten better with managing your time and having a system? You know, from from when you started out, or is that uh, just a thing that you always have to keep struggling with? Over a, a lot of my questions are going to be like, "Does it does it get better, Greg? Does it get better, or is it just a constant <laughs> Please struggle?" Please tell us for, it gets better forever. <laughs> Uh, are you familiar with the concept of biorhythms? There are times it gets better and there are times it gets worse uh, due to your own habits or lack of attention to your habits, I think, uh, or other things going on in your life, personally, events and stuff that may throw, throw your focus off. I think there's no doubt that you get better at a lot of the aspects of it. I mean, especially your first couple of years, you're stumbling through a lot of things that just, what do I have to do to run this business? You know, the, the, the things that you weren't doing before, like bookkeeping or, you know, well, what insurance do I need? Do I need insurance? I need to develop a relationship with an accountant. And and probably over the first couple of years, you may stumble through some of those relationships that don't work out and you have to find a new accountant until you finally get to a place that those things are easier. You have those pieces in place and you don't need to worry about them so much. So that sort of stuff gets easier. The personal time management stuff, 
I almost find it difficult to provide advice because different things work for different people. Um, I think that uh, I personally am more towards the slacker end of things, which I think a lot of people who do this type of work are actually more towards the workaholic end of the spectrum. So I have to make sure I don't slack off. It's real easy for me. Hey, the kids got home from school and it's a nice day out. I'm just going to knock off and, and play with them or something. Um, and it's easy, you know, easy to let stuff slide, uh, especially in my end of it, doing products and stuff. I don't have any hard deadlines. I, I mean, for client works, there's always somebody beating down your door. They need it yesterday or whatever. But when you're doing your own products, you've got to set those schedules yourself. Um, so it's real easy to let things slide um, and not have the structure you need. So you do need to force yourself to uh, have that sort of discipline. Yeah, you know, one of the things you talked about, and I know, like, you've been at it 10 years, and and one thing that gives you is perspective of changes in business. I mean, when you first started, there wasn't such a thing as the iOS app store, or it was, actually, it wasn't, it didn't exist yet at that time. So mm -hmm. obviously, at some point, you decided your p business was going to transition into iOS stuff. Um, now, the iOS store, there's some complaints about that as to whether you can make a living at it, and you're probably thinking about what that means for your future. How do you keep an eye on the big picture things, and, and how did you successfully make transitions over the types of products and services you provide? I always look to diversify in the things I do, and you have to work with what the market provides to you. The App Store was a great place to get into in the early years, and certainly there was a gold rush for indie-type developers like myself in those first few years. People were willing to pay for apps. There was a novelty aspect to it. Uh, there was less competition. Uh, the products you had to produce to compete were less complicated. You know, over time, as iOS has gotten more complicated, what is expected of a successful productivity app is, uh, you know, the bar is a lot higher. You can't spend a month on an app and ship it and expect that, you know, you're going to have something unique that really finds a market. So those sorts of things have taken time to work with. The business models have changed, and I've addressed that by kind of being in multiple camps uh, based on the different types of products. I have reference and utility apps that are free and have in-app purchases and advertising. I have productivity apps like Drafts that's still a paid-up-front sort of app, and the different markets, markets dictate what's appropriate for that product, and you just kind of... Some of it's experimentation and some of it is just listening to, you know, what you see out there in the market and what your customer expectations are. Um, and you just do your best to keep up with it. This episode of the free agents is brought to you by SaneBox. Clean up your inbox in minutes. Sign up for a two week free trial and a $20 credit at SaneBox.com slash free agents. I think email is one of the most dangerous things to an independent worker. It is so easy to mistake email as your actual work as opposed to the stuff you make that gets you money. And worse of all, the more you engage in email, the more feedback it gives you and the more email it throws back at you. SaneBox is my secret weapon to keep email from crushing me. SaneBox is a service that you connect with your email that acts like a personal assistant, keeping track of your email for you and just giving you the most important email when you need it. 
What if you had an assistant that could go through your inbox for you every day at all hours of the day? And imagine only the email that stays in your inbox is the stuff you actually need to see. Well, that's what SaneBox does. It sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into different folders. So the only messages in your inbox are those that you actually want to see. And the great thing is that it works on top of your current setup with any app in just about any mail service. All of the SaneBox magic happens before you ever see your email. That's not all, though. Aside from removing all the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, they've got a great feature called the black hole. You just move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from that sender again. It's awesome. You can set up email reminders so you'll be reminded of a message to follow up on and snooze email as well. So if you get an email that you want to wait until Monday to deal with, just pull it into the Monday folder in SaneBox and it will disappear and reappear next Monday. I use SaneBox in all of my accounts for Max Sparky, for Sparks Law, and even my personal stuff. And it allows me to stay on top of email without allowing email to stay on top of me. I really consider it my secret weapon in the war against email. Now, we know that free agents listeners would like to have a little more email organization in their lives, so we've worked out a great deal with SaneBox for you. Go to SaneBox.com slash free agents today, and you'll get an extra $20 credit on top of their two-week free trial. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. Again, that's SaneBox.com slash free agents. Thanks, SaneBox, for supporting the show. Do you have a, a, like a system to kind of audit your business and say, hey, you know, what am I doing that's going to make me money, you know, a year from now as, as things change? Or do you just kind of, how do you deal with that? Some of it, yes. Some of it, no. I mean, you're always taking certain risks and uh, trying to find what will work within reason. I, I, tried, I try to approach it in a product point of view by working with least viable products. You know, if you have an idea... You put the least time in to get it to be reasonably good and put it out and see if it finds a market. And if it does, you can build on that uh, over time, make it better, uh, which is why I have a lot of products that are now up to version four, version three, you know, that I over time have built um, and maybe weren't as complicated when they first came out. But the grain, uh, you know, of the idea stuck enough to be able to invest the time and and develop it further. And you do have to sit down and it's always hard uh, I I've had to kill products that didn't that didn't find a viable market, either were never profitable or were showed no signs that further investing in them would make a profit. And those are, you know, always difficult decisions to make because you put a lot of work into something you want it to be successful. Um and it's hard to finally say, nope, it's time to give up on this and move on to something else. I, I can't say I have a strategic plan in the sense that I didn't do what they told me to do at business school and sit down and chart out the next five years or anything. Um, but I have a pretty good idea of schedule of, hey, I need to have, if I'm going to have enough revenue to support these products, I'm going to have to have something new out in this time frame or by the end of this year, you know, is that where I want to invest my time? Well, one of the things you said earlier was that you occasionally think, do I still want to be independent? Um, I don't know about you, Jason. I, and two years into this, that thought has not occurred to me <laughs> yet. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm okay. Uh, staying independent, but, but after 10 years, uh, you have questioned it. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I think it, 
it's about what you want to be involved with and what you want to build. Um, I've had opportunities over the years to say, get involved with a startup or something as a technical person. And had I made that choice, that would likely have meant, you know, the time required to dedicate to making a product like that succeed would have been setting aside all my other business and saying, that's what my focus is. Um, in this, in my case, I haven't had the opportunity come up where that was the logical decision as we were discussing earlier. Um, but there's times when, you know, there's different rewards and payoffs being independent. Uh, I think both of you have independent jobs that involve a lot of social engagement. You know, you work directly with clients or you do podcasts where you're working with a lot of other people actively and being a software developer independent can get socially lonely sometimes. And there's, you know, times I want to engage more. And sometimes I go back to doing more client work so that I am involved in a process more with, with other people, or sometimes it seems attractive to, shake that up and work on different types of projects. Um, that's, it's not so much at this point. I think I really would just want to go get a full-time job. I'm pretty dedicated to, and probably unqualified for that at this point <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, you know, what my expectations are and habits, but there's times when those different things seem more attractive. I wanted to follow up on something you talking about the balancing of client work with, uh, being your your own indie app developer because it's kind of like it, it seems to me like you've got sort of two two different jobs at least which is which is the client work and the and then your iOS development that you keep separately do you do you think about only doing one of those or is the balance important it sounds like maybe just for a for a, a not being lonely sort of social interaction perspective having clients is 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 useful it is and it, and the diversity is useful. And I also feel, you know, I'm not, I'm reasonably risk averse as, as a general personality type. And I think that there's something of a myth of being ind independent or being a small business person is a riskier thing to be doing. But I feel it's really quite the opposite because you don't have all your eggs in one basket. If things go wrong with any one of my products, you know, whatever I, the app store decides to reject this or Apple Sherlock's my product, or I have a client that I, the relationship goes sour with, or is no longer doing business in the area I was working for them, whatever, any of those things go wrong. That's not going to shut me down. That's not going to kill my business. You know, I, I have other income streams. I have other opportunities. And I think probably a part of the original it reason I went independent is for that kind of variety so that I wasn't stuck doing one thing all the time or, um, being in one channeled area. You know, I, I like creative problem solving. I like working on different things. So to me, having that sort of spread, it keeps it entertaining and, and, and valuable. You know, I value that. I also appreciate your comment that you may not be qualified for the, that kind of, uh, job again i i i don't know about david david was saying this earlier i think i think i can chime in here too that uh the the longer it goes the the harder it is for me to see myself in going back to a you know kind of commute 
big company kind of job, which is not to say that I couldn't do it if I if I wanted to, but I the differences be, become even more pronounced the the further it gets in the in the rear view. I think about going back in the context of what if I have to go back much more than in the context of, ooh, I am so sorely tempted to go back. But, you know, part of that is just keeping your options open and being aware of what your, you know, what your next moves might have to be. But but I, I, I share your feelings that I'm, I'm not sure, like with every passing year, I'm not sure I would be as great at interacting in that kind of environment. Not that I'm a hermit or anything, but it's just like, I don't know. You live you live this life for a while and you can see some of the the compromises. It's pretty stark some of the compromises that you have to make when you're in that kind of a, a job. Mm-hmm. My old firm hired me to come back for an afternoon a couple of weeks ago for on a little project they needed some help with the, something I could only help them with and um uh so I got to spend an afternoon back, you know, working for the man. And man, that is that was great for me because I came back and said, I am definitely going to make this work. <laughs> <I'm not going> <laughs> to, <laughs> you know? And then I'm thinking about all the stuff Greg's talking about. It's like, how do I make sure, you know, what's the future plan? And what, you know, how do I make sure that I don't know I have this job for the next six months, but for the next six years, you know, how do you do that? Well, being your, your own boss is very addicting. There's no doubt about it. And, and I think the times that it comes up sometimes, to draw an analogy, sometimes you sit down on the couch and you want to watch something on Netflix. And sometimes you want to make the decision on what to watch. And sometimes you want to let somebody else pick. And you find yourself as your own boss, you always have to pick. And it's stressful at times when, uh, you know, and I value that in my client work too, where I have other people making decisions and I don't always have to be the one to make the final decision on what's best on a certain thing. Cause that can be stressful and it's sometimes nice to sit down and do the work you do with other people holding those responsibilities. And that's, that's the times that you think maybe it's good, but I could never go back to that being the primary uh, arrangement. <laughs> I'm uh, too committed to being in charge of so much of those decisions. This episode of Free Agents is also brought to you by FreshBooks. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Now, this life can be challenging, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are worth it, and they build tools to make the challenges easier for all of us. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been uh, better opportunities for the self-employed. There are opportunities that exist now that could have never existed before, but to meet this need, FreshBooks has been working tirelessly on an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. The new FreshBooks has been designed from the ground up and is custom-built to work exactly the way you do. You'll be able to be more productive and organized while also being paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only easy to use, it's packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You build your invoices in a WYSIWYG interface, so you'll see them exactly the way that your client will see them. You'll be able to set up online payments with just a couple of clicks. This is why FreshBooks customers get paid up to four days faster. Then you'll see when your client has seen your invoice. No more guessing games. No more chaser emails. FreshBooks also has an all-new notification system that you can think of as your personal assistant. Every time you log in, you'll get an update on what's changed with your business and what needs your attention. 
All of these new features are coupled with a beautiful redesign, focusing on simplicity and clarity, giving you a bird's eye view of your business at all times. FreshBooks is focused on the age-old question, how's my business doing? No more guessing games about what's owed or overdue. It's presented clearly and simply to you. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of free agents. Just go to freshbooks.com slash free agents and enter free agents in the how did you hear about us section so they know you came from our show. Thank you to FreshBooks for supporting free agents and all of Relay FM. With 10 years in, you know, what are the things that, you know, you can give us as with the benefit of all this wisdom that work best for you? I definitely think that the maintaining a standard discipline is, is very important. What's worked best for me is treating my own business like it was any other job. Yes, I'm in control, but I, I stick to a pretty regular schedule. I stay focused what I do on, on what I need to get done. Um, and, and don't spend too much of your time worrying about what could go wrong. Focus on what you can do right and it'll work out <laughs> in the long run. I, I was talking to an attorney friend who went, just went solo and he's very, he's been quite successful. And it got me thinking about the, the amount of people I know that have done it seriously and failed versus the people who have been a success at it. And the vast majority of people I know that have gone independent have been quite successful at it. I mean, people who took it seriously and, and did the things like we're talking about. Um, I, I don't know if there's any way to get any, you know, research or numbers on it, but I suspect a lot more people are successful at this than aren't. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to have, there's certain types of professions that lend itself to it and you have to be, have a skill set and enjoy doing something in one of those types of professions, whether it's, you know, providing a service of some type like a lawyer, an accountant, or a software developer, or, you know, producing content like podcasts, things like that. If, you have to love doing it. And you're probably not even thinking about going independent and doing it if you don't. Um, but I think that's a big piece of that success factor is that the people who actually make the jump are people who love what they're doing and are trying to find a way to do more of the things they love. And that passion and dedication to it makes it work out for those types of people. What do you think is the biggest mistakes you've made uh, in this 10 years? You know, where have you gone afield? I think I'm sometimes a little slow to, to turn the, turn the rudder when it needs to be. It's easy to get, you have a certain amount of success heading in a certain direction and it's easy to just kind of stick with that. Uh, I mean, the obvious example in the app store is selling paid apps. You know, I had a reasonable amount of success with that. Frankly, it's the arrangement I would prefer and the type of customer base I would like to continue to work with, but that market dries up and it wasn't there for me anymore. So you have to go out and make some of those tough decisions and make those adjustments. And I think I'm often a little too slow to make those course corrections. Um, and I could do a better job of, of foreseeing some of those types of changes. We all like getting in a groove, right? I mean, that, that's just human nature is to get in a groove. And we, we talk about getting in a rut, but sometimes it's just like you get something working and you're like, all right, I'm happy. And it's hard to make those statements of like, 
I should protect against this going away and start thinking about other things that I could also do because you're like, you're, no, this is working. It's great. But uh, that's, that's uh, I, I, I find myself questioning that all the, all the time. And sometimes I think it has a negative effect on my emotional well-being because I am always kind of disaster planning. But at the same time, um, I'm concerned that I'm going to fall under the spell of, 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 you know, of being in a, being in a groove and miss opportunities or not protect myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like a little healthy paranoia is part of this. Hopefully healthy. <laughs> yeah, and you need to get not too far afield with your own decision making and have people that you trust and work with and rely on to share their opinions about what you're doing. Uh, and, you know, I have a network of people I do that sort of stuff with. Uh, being your own boss doesn't mean you're, you're going to make all the decisions right. You're going to make mistakes and you, you need other people with similar related experiences to share uh with and network with and not make the same mistakes twice. Um, and I think learning from other people's experience is something uh, a lot of independents don't take the time to do. They, they fumble through a lot of the same mistakes. And the more we do stuff like this podcast that, uh, you know, share information about those mistakes and what, how not to repeat them, the better we all are off. Do you get much help? I mean, are you doing most of the stuff yourself or are you hiring people to help you out with any piece of this? I have subcontracted. Most of that's on client type projects, not on my own apps. I pretty much have carved out that space as something where I can produce my own stuff and I'm proud of that work. And probably sometimes to the detriment of the products, uh, you know, because I like to be involved in all aspects of it. Uh, I do a lot of my own design work and stuff like that, that most developers outsource. And there's times that maybe the products have suffered because of some of those decisions, but it's also something I enjoy doing. Um, and it helps me keep in the flow of, you know, realizing the products the way I want them to be realized. Um, so those things I pretty much all do myself. Um, but the other client sort of work, I do more work with other people and subcontractors and different sorts of uh, things as appropriate to the project. Well, what about like just the business management, you know, dealing with the customer support emails, the accounting, all that? How how much help are you getting? Um, I have the normal services that any business should have. I have an accountant. I have lawyers I work with when that kind of stuff comes up. I, to this day, still do all my own customer support work. And I do it because it keeps me close to the product. And I've not ever gotten to the point that it's overwhelmed me. Um, I mean, there's short periods of time. Possibly I ship a certain bug or Apple ships a certain bug that affects my apps or whatnot, where I have a high volume to deal with. Um, but there's plenty of tools that help you. When those sorts of things come up, you're more or less giving the same answer to a bunch of people and things like Text Expander and a little bit of uh, productivity help make it easy to handle that. But I, I have not, I I sit down and spend time on the support queue once a day. And I often get a question from someone. I look into the problem. If it's a bug, I may even fix it on the spot right there and have a new beta build with a fix for that up an hour later. And I love being able to be that kind of responsive uh, to those sorts of problems that come up. Um, so I have not outsourced that stuff to date just because I like being that close to it. And there's probably sometimes that as a result of that, 
people have gotten less professional or I don't, I don't want to say unprofessional answers, but uh, brief answers from me because, you know, maybe I should have written them five paragraphs explaining it, but I, I, I gave them the short, direct answer to get that taken care of. And that's something I need to think about over time if some of my products continue to grow. That is something I'm facing a little more with moving to the free market for apps. The volume of customers expands. When you had paid apps, I had a reasonable number of customers, you know, who had paid for my app, who I was providing customer support to. When you start moving into the market where you have free downloads, you're providing support to people who may have never and may never pay you any money at a volume much higher than um, you get with paid downloads. So that's a transition that I'm still working out uh, how to handle in the long run. So no, I guess the original question is largely no, I don't outsource a lot of stuff. Um, I do most of it myself and I kind of enjoy that aspect of it. Well, one of the reasons I want to have you on the show is, you know, you and I have been friends for a while. And I've spent time talking to you about this stuff. And you're just so calm about it. <laughs> you know, I just feel like uh, Greg is the Zen master of uh, free agents. And I feel like, is that because you've been doing it 10 years or, or have you always been able to just kind of have a steady keel about this stuff? I, I think experience has something to do with it, but I, I've always kind of been this way. Uh, it, it's my more or less you know, approach to it. I try not to freak out about things when things go right or wrong. Um, I, I'm sort of a level, level headed sort of guy. So, uh, it makes it easy to keep perspective, uh, on your successes and failures. What would you say, um, the, um, if there's one tip to give someone listening, you know, someone out there thinking about going to be a free agent or someone's getting started and wants some help as a guy who's been at it 10 years, what's with the one piece of advice you'd give them? To make sure that's what you really want to do. I, I think that I've talked to a number of people over the years who say they want to be independent and you talk to them a little more and you talk to them about some of your experiences with it and it may not actually be the choice for them. The people, if you really want to do it, you know in your heart that you want to do it and then you should dedicate yourself to what's going to work out best for you. But you got to know why you're doing it. You know, is it because you want more flexibility? Is it because you want more control? Um, if you don't know why you want to do that, you're probably not going to succeed in it because you'll never realize when you achieve that goal, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, so I would great. definitely spend time ahead of time and making sure that it's what you want to do. It's, you know, that you're tolerant enough of the additional chaos that comes with taking on all the responsibilities of being independent. Um, and that the, you know, those are things that will make your life better, not worse. Um, every, every time somebody in the Facebook, in the free agents, Facebook group, which is growing by the way, or, uh, in an email to me says, Oh, thanks for all the great advice. I just quit my job. Just, there's something in the pit of my stomach that just drops, you know, <laughs> because I feel, I feel somewhat responsible and I, I hope they succeed. Yeah. That's how I felt about you, David. It's like, Jason, you're really encouraging me when, when I was thinking of leaving and I'm like, Oh no, I've destroyed David Sparks now. <laughs> the Sparks family is on a street corner holding a mm -hmm. cup. <laughs> it's all my fault. I also think for the most part, it, if, if you, are thinking about doing this, you should take a chance at it because 
if you have the skill set that is necessary to succeed as an independent, you also have the skill set that's going to be able to get you another job if you if you decide it's not going to work out for you after six months or a year or whatever. So if you don't ever take the chance, if you don't ever try, um, then you'll never know if it was right for you or not. Yeah. And, and it's a lot more accessible now than it was before. I mean, just yeah. the, the, the support and the stuff you need to, to get on your own uh, is a lot more available. I, I feel like, you know, one of the reasons Jason and I do this show is we feel like, I think it's, this is a thing. This is going to become more of a thing as we go into the future. Yeah. And I think that there's one other, if there's any one other piece of advice I have, especially for people who have spent their careers in a large corporate environment who are thinking about doing this is maybe take the leap in two steps and start by working at a much smaller organization because it is a spectrum between being an independent and working at a huge corporation. And I feel like I knew what I was getting into because I had worked at a number of very small organizations that were, you know, four to five people staff where everybody got involved in more of the different types of activities and responsibilities. And you get a taste of what it would be like to have all those responsibilities on your plate. If there's those sorts of people who are thinking about it, that's a great way to get a start, you know, move to a small firm, an agency organization that does those sorts of things on a smaller scale and get a feel for whether that sort of environment's good for, for you and your personality. Yeah. I was thinking earlier, you were talking earlier about how, when you got started, you were with a small company and it made it easier for the transition and it actually gave you a built-in client afterwards. And I was thinking in my head, you know, I'm the same way. I've always trended towards a smaller company. I think this is part of my personality, which is, I think, one of the reasons I ended, ultimately ended up independent. But then I think about folks like Jason and and Mike Hurley, who were in very big organizations and very successfully uh, went out on their own as well. I'm not sure there is as much of a relationship as you would originally think. True. That's a good point. It just depends on the on on the person. It is tough, though, if you're used to like. I think one of the points that we hear through a lot of uh, guests is, you know, if you just want to do a single job, if you just want to design user interface, if you just want to write contracts, if you just want to uh, do whatever it is, write articles. Um, going out on your own involves a lot more than that, and I think that's something that you have to be ready for. Getting into the app business, I mean, there's so many things. You, you mentioned customer support before, but the marketing and things like that that aren't necessarily the part I enjoy most, but they're not necessarily things I hate either. Um, and, you know, you've got to be willing to do all those sorts of different types of things and activities, um, and not focus single on one single direction. So, Greg, given everything you've seen, 10 years of doing this, would you do it again? Absolutely. I have no regrets whatsoever. I mean, the fact that I, if nothing else from a personal level, the fact that I have been here, you know, and watched my kids grow up day to day and not been off at a job or not sitting in a car in traffic, uh, you know, for all the opportunities that this type of work has afforded me, you know, it's been wonderful. I would not trade it for anything. I'm glad you asked that question, David. That's a great way. <laughs> so we, we, we worry about so much of this stuff. It's nice to hear that last uh, affirmation, I would guess, from a veteran of doing this, that it's totally worth it. 
I think that's it. Are, are we are we out of questions, David? I think we are. But I, I just would like to tell everybody to help support Greg as an independent. <laughs> Head over to Agile Tortoise because he has some great apps that are quite useful to me as a free agent. Uh, drafts is in my doc, I guess I would say. If you um, have not tried Drafts, um, you should rectify that immediately. <laughs> Basically, and there's a great set of video screencasts that uh, David oh. provided for me. Uh, help get you started. Yeah, in fact, you helped me when I became a free agent by giving me some work. So there <laughs> you have it. It all works. All works out. So, gang, head over to Agile Tortoise and check out Greg, Greg's apps. Greg, thank you so much, and we'll have you back uh, on your 20 year anniversary because I'm sure you'll have some great advice <laughs> too. Great, great. We'll probably all be getting into doing a retirement podcast around then. So, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> good. Not me, man. I just keep going. No, thank you all for having me. It was a enjoyable conversation. Thank you, Greg. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to Free Agents. As always, you can get our show at relay.fm slash freeagents slash 18 in this case. You can visit our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash freeagentgroup. And you can tweet at us at freeagentsfm. Uh, I'm Jason Snell, Jay Snell on Twitter, and David Sparks is Max Sparky on Twitter. Uh, we will be back in a fortnight with more discussions about free agents. But until then, David, it's been a pleasure as always. It has. See you next time.